How are you? Good. Meet Tammy and Simone. Hello. Hello. Is, now, is my camera up the right way? Am I... no, you're sideways. We're looking at you like that. I'm novice for the mobile phone, right? I haven't used one for six years, so. <laughs> I love it's it. All, it's all new to me. Well, let's start. Welcome to our podcast. We're really happy to have you here. We'd like to get you to introduce yourself and maybe let's start at electromagnetic fields so that we can give our listeners just a bit of a broad overview of what we're going to talk about today. Electromagnetic fields, electromotive force, electric magnetic fields, consists of magnetic fields and electric fields. So when you put your finger in a toaster and get electric shock, which I don't recommend doing, that's an electric shock. When you get a magnet and you put a nail on it and it jumps on it, that's a, that's a magnetic field. So the EMS is a combination of both the electric field and the magnetic field working in unison, both work together. And we live in an electromagnetic spectrum, which goes from zero right the way up to light. So we've got native EMFs and we've got non-native EMFs. The way I see EMFs is we live in a bath. This world we live in is a bath of EMFs. Right now, wherever you are, you can measure the electric fields and the magnetic fields all working at different frequency levels, multiple layers, and with electricity and cell phone towers and electronics. That interferes with the native electric fields. In 2015, I bought some spectrum analyzers that measure from zero hertz right the way up to 20 gigahertz because I wanted to have a look at that part of the spectrum and see where the noise floor was of nature and where our non-native frequencies are. And it's quite interesting, as you go down into the spectrum and get towards 15 cycles per second and down to the Earth's native fields, which is around 8 hertz, the power of the magnetic fields goes up. So nature's very powerful. But still, the 60 and 50 hertz cycles that we create with our electricity is everywhere. It's, it's very hard to find a place where it's not. So on the spectrum, when you look, at, when we go back from, say, 8 kilohertz and then back up towards 50 hertz where the power cycle is, there's this quite a big blip. And in different homes, it's at different levels. And that can affect your sleep and well-being and cause different issues. And then, of course, on that 50 hertz cycle, we have dirty electricity, harmonics and um, high-frequency transients that cause other issues. Um, but yeah, electromagnetic fields, once you keep going up, it's quite interesting to see your compact fluorescent lights, switch mode transformers. And the good thing about a spectrum analyzer, you can actually see all these devices and they're causing electromagnetic fields, so electric fields and magnetic fields. Once we go up from the power, we go to the high frequencies, which is you know your cell phone towers, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, the Internet of Things, and all your Gs. So that's the main area of concern at the moment is the RF. Now, electric fields and magnetic fields on, from the low frequencies from the electricity is problematic, and it's been there since the beginning of electricity. There's been plenty of scientists warning about the implications of uh, rolling out this technology on a mass scale, but it's always been shelved because we're always using industry-based science. But now we've got to the point where microwaves are just out of control. I mean, if I show you on a spectrum analyzer what 2015 looked like and then 2020, it's, it's night and day difference. Um, and then if you go from 2015 back to year 2000, it's almost like nothing, even though there was a lot back in 2000. I've had to move three times because the RF levels keep moving up. So I pull out my gigahertz solutions meters and I find a good house and it's reasonably low, below five microwatts per square meter outside. But give it two or three years time because they keep adding assignments onto um, cell phone towers, it keeps going up. So 
you know, my, my homes will go from five microwatts per square meter up to 20 and 30 and keep going. So I've moved three times because these cell phone towers keep increasing with their assignments. So yeah, then above that, we've got millimeter waves. I'm not, I'm not concerned. I know there are some people concerned about millimeter waves from the sky. Now, the military do have technology where they can knock a car out, plane or whatever, even a person if they have to. So there are, there are strong beams or signals that can be used. But in general, as far as the Internet of Things and uh, satellites, we're going to need an antenna, a very large antenna to pick up a signal because the signal is so weak. Never will come the day where you'll hold a phone and be able to go and watch Netflix inside and get 4K or um, 8K videos. That, that will never happen. Um, these satellite signals are very weak. So up in the electromagnetic spectrum, up around the millimetre waves, it's not as much of a concern for most people. If you live in a city, that's a concern because they're going to have millimetre waves in certain areas of the city. In Australia, we're all right. We don't really use millimetre waves at the moment. They've got a few places they're experimenting with, but it's pretty weak. I mean, I can't even get the 3.5 gigahertz 5G signal where I live. Now, I've got three cell phone towers around me, uh, one out there, one over there, one behind me, one kilometre away, and they've all got 3.5 gigahertz 5G, and I can't pick up anything on my spectrum analyzer. Whereas the 4G, the 3G, and all the assignments going from 700 megahertz right up to 2700 megahertz, which is 2.7 gigahertz. I mean, that's just thick all the way through. It's a solid signal right here. I've got about 50 microwatts per square meter, and it's all 4G. I can't get 5G. But anyway, that's electromagnetic fields. Yeah, they're everywhere. Um, even when you're out in nature, I can still measure electric fields going through your body and magnetic fields. We live in an electromagnetic spectrum. So everything's electric and there's magnetic fields everywhere. I, I hope that answers uh, the question about EMFs. Yeah, thanks, David, for that. Um, I just wanted you to go back just a little bit for some of the listeners. I think some people may have heard the word assignments and they may not understand exactly what that means because I think it's, it's a common misconception that they haven't got any issues. They live near a cell tower or they can see one and they're wondering if it is an issue. They get it tested and they go, oh, yeah, no, no, that's not too much of an issue. And they sort of get into this false sense of everything's fine. So did you want to just explain a little bit what assignments are yep. and why things can change? Oh, right. Okay. So with, with a cell phone tower or a wireless telecommunication facility, they start off by maybe, I mean, years ago, we only had um, 1,800 megahertz and 900 megahertz, just a couple of bands and very small. But now we've got, we've got up to, I've seen towers with up to 200 assignments. Most big towers now have 100 or 150. So that's basically each assignment is a channel of frequency. It could be, so it could be at 720, 750 megahertz, 800, 850, you know, 900, 930. And then you get into the 1700 megahertz, 1800, 1900, and they keep adding. So every year they just keep adding more and more frequency. So as you drive past your cell phone towers, they look the same, but they are constantly adding more and more frequencies, more and more pipe. We'll call it pipe. So just imagine hose, the hose going. There's more people using it, so they need more hoses. So they basically stack these hoses on top of each other, one on top of each other. It's absolutely crazy when you look at it on a spectrum analyzer how much of the spectrum they're now using compared to what they used to use. So recently we just got 18 megahertz coming in here. I've got 1,700 megahertz, 1,800 gigahertz, 1,900 gigahertz, 2,100 megahertz. These are all new frequencies just coming in from 4G, which is going to be the 5GS, 5G standalone. So 
all these 4G signals will be used for 5G standalone, and standalone is basically the low to mid-range frequencies. So the antennas that they're putting up now and the assignments, they are 5G ready. So it, it's 4G on your phone, but when 5G standalone is ready, those antennas, uh, most of them have been ready, and in Australia they are anyway, they're ready to kick over to 5GS or 5G standalone. So most of what you'll pick up on a meter will be the 5G standalone low frequencies. It won't be the 3.5 gigahertz or millimeter waves. The money and the meat is in the lower frequencies below 2.7 megahertz, which is 2.7 gigs. Actually, I just wanted to quickly, before Lordy, I know Lordy wants to ask a question, um, before Lordy does, did you want to just quickly explain, because some people will be looking at their cell phones or looking at their modems at home and will see 5G. Did you want to just um, clear up for people that the 5G on their modem is completely different and just explain why it's different and what it is that the modem is showing up? Like A lot of people are calling it 5G because... And they're even putting it on their name of the Wi-Fi. It's a good. It's just a good selling point. But it's it's five thousand megahertz, which is five gigs. What you're seeing at the moment on your screen is on a five gigahertz connection, five point eight, so five thousand eight hundred megahertz. So I've turned off two point four gigahertz, and I'm using only five point eight gigahertz Wi-Fi on this core through iPhone X, my daughter's phone. So that's a good example of um, Wi-Fi. Now, I, the reason why I use 2 point, uh, I've turned off the 2.4 and only using uh, 5 gigahertz is because I can turn, tune 5 gigahertz to have a smaller footprint. So it only works about 10, 15 metres around the house and I can operate outside of the house without getting microwaved. Every time you half a wavelength, you half its distance. So 5 gigahertz is half the distance of 2.4 at the same power. So therefore, if I lower the um, power on my router, on my wireless router, to say 20 milliwatts instead of having 500 milliwatts, um, it's a very small footprint and it's, it's, I find it more easier for my health because I'm sensitive. Um, I mean, I'm on a wireless call at the moment, but I'm outside in the sun. I'm grounding my feet on the ground and so I can handle it better because uh, I'm, I'm electrosensitive and I can only handle certain levels of Wi-Fi. But... The 5 gigahertz doesn't give me the heart palpitations like 2.4 does, so that's why I run 5 as well. But yeah, 5G and 5 gigahertz um, Wi-Fi is completely different. But 5G stands for fifth generation technology. It's basically 4G growing up and expanding. David, on that note, you mentioned that you're electrically sensitive. Yep. So how are the frequencies playing into that? Like, because there's a lot of, there's a really big increase, especially in the last couple of years, we're seeing so many electrically sensitive people. So how, like in lay people's terms, how are these uh, waves affecting them and what's like, is it flipping a switch? Like, are they overloaded? Is it like a bucket overflowing that they've reached their EMF limit or something? Oh, I, just, I just see it as a, it's, we've all got an immune system and it's like a bucket. Once that bucket gets full, it's full. Like, it's game over. So most people who get what I've got, it'll happen overnight. So a lot of people just think you're all crazy because you've got this electrosensitivity. And when it happens to them, it happens fast. Like, you're... you're uh, the immune system will just tip over and all of a sudden one day you're sensitive. And that's how it happened for me. I mean, I've lived next to a substation. I've lived in terrible homes. I've lived and worked in electronics and blue light. So so I haven't looked after myself. But, but the first time I, could, I remember feeling a magnetic field was when I moved into this flat at 26, 25 years of age. 
and it was next to the substation. And my kitchen was about 10 metres away from this massive transformer. And I could just feel feeling alive. And I, I lived there for a few months. But then, yeah, back in about 2010, I started noticing that when I was at intersections on my motorbike, I started feeling dizzy. And I had to put my stand down on my bike sometimes because I felt like I was going to fall over. And when I was going bike rides, my heart rate would go up when I was going past cell phone towers. And I didn't know what was going on, but I eventually put it together and realised what was going on. Plus, my daughter had heart palpitations when she sat next to Wi-Fi. So, um, and she had put heart palpitations when she sat under Wi-Fi in a school classroom. So I got that shut down. Um, but, I mean, my, my daughter's not sensitive anymore. She uses Wi-Fi every day. Uh, I think she's sung her way out of it. She's grown out of it. I've got better twice. I've managed to pull, heal myself of electrosensitivity, but I went back into my workplace and just went straight back into working in control rooms. And like, you know, I can be working in a ceiling, sitting on 100 wide electrical cables and sit there for hours on end doing wiring. So I ended just back out where I was. So I haven't bounced back the third time around. I've got to stay clear of microwaves. So whenever I drive anywhere, my car's fully shielded. I won't go in any other car because the microwave levels are too high. I'll just... I'll end out in bed for three days if I try to go with anyone else in a normal car through the Gold Coast, through the surface. I mean, the, the levels are just up in the red in the metre. You're talking, you know, 100,000 microwatts plus 200,000. Um, but, yeah, so well, it's taught me a lot, though, because everything I've learnt from geostress and EMFs and RF, and the reason why I know so much is because not only do I understand electronics and frequencies, but... I feel everything. So, um, you know, I can feel electric fields, magnetic fields, RF. That's how I found out about geopathic stress. I found out if I slept or had my office chair in certain lines, uh, earth rays or Hartman lines, my heart would just wouldn't feel right. And I could even feel like solar storms coming. I'd freak out quite a few people because, um, you know, I, used to be, I, used to, I went to a boardroom meeting once with EMF uh, measurement guys and we were looking at some new products. There's about eight of us. We're testing out these new dirty electricity filters. And I said to the guy who's demonstrating them that we've got about 240 GS units behind us. And a lot of the guys on the boardroom table laughed at me and said, you know, it's, this was about 2011. They said, uh, David, it's impossible to feel electric fields. And I said, well, grab your meter and go and measure. It's, it's about 220, 240 GS units, grams, density units. That's the level of dirty electricity behind us. Go and measure it. And sure enough, it's um, 220. But, you know, I've done this time and time again with people, told them what levels, the dirty electricity levels are. I mean, that's how, that's why I bought my equipment, because I wanted to know what I was feeling. And I'd go into homes and know what was wrong with just by feeling it. And I've got plenty of people who uh, think that it's some kind of entity or spirit working through you, talking to me, telling me that, but it's not. It's just I feel it. Uh, it's not like I'm channeling or anything. I mean, a lot of people get freak out when I tell them with great accuracy what's wrong with their house without measuring anything. Um, I know that certain people can do that with mould. They can walk into someone's house and just tell them exactly where the mould is and what it is uh, because they're sensitive to that. I can't detect mould. I don't feel mould. But with electric fields and magnetic fields, geostress, it's like putting a hand in an oven or putting a hand in a fridge. It's just that obvious. You can do double-blind tests or whatever, which they have done, but they won't put that on the media. They're still teaching it in universities that, you know, we can't feel these things, but, you know, they've got to keep up the false narrative. Anyway, what's the next question? <laughs> I think you've just put out a lot of stuff that have, we've just written a ton of questions down, <laughs> David. So let's backtrack a little bit back to your daughter 
also having heart palpitations and you mentioned you shut that down at her school. Obviously, this is a huge concern now for parents putting their children in the school environment. We know upgrades are happening. Can you tell us what you actually did? Um, you know, no, no, I can't because it wasn't very nice. Um, I because I don't <laughs> believe um, I don't believe you can go up against the system. Not personally. Yeah. Um, the system is almost like untouchable. It's so something you don't. It's not even worth going up against. But within that system, there's people, and you've got to take the people out. And that's how I did it. I got up close and personal with the people. I threatened them. And because I, I mean, I'd won a lawsuit recently, so quite a good one. And I just basically said to them, you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to lose your house or not, but I want to take this as far as it's going to go. And if you don't make a um, Wi-Fi free class for my children, I mean, I pulled my children out of school for four months to tell them how, show them how serious I was as well. Um, but it's very obvious. My daughter was having heart palpitations and she was, her desk was... 1.5, 1.7 metres away from a commercial multi-channel 2.4 and 5 gigahertz wireless router. Mind you, she did have dirty electricity in that classroom as well. So it was a combination of uh, electric fields and dirty electricity. And I'm talking high levels because my daughter could handle Wi-Fi on its own. But when the combination of electric fields and dirty electricity and Wi-Fi presented itself, that's when she started having um, palpitations. So if I had a plasma TV going and she was three metres, two metres away from that, which plasma TVs were terrible for dirty electricity and electric fields, um, and she was sitting in front of that and had a Wi-Fi unit two metres away, she would have heart palpitations. She won't now. She's actually a lot stronger. She sings a lot, which I think's got a lot to do with it. So anyway, back to the school. It, it took a long time to get it done. I did have a current affair crew on standby. I did purchase thirty-five thousand dollars worth of gear to measure the situation, and I had a heart monitor on my daughter. I had basically, if the school didn't deliver, I was going to actually have a current affair crew fly in. The chop was ready. I was going to heart monitor on my daughter with the latest German real-time spectrum analyzer running in the classroom to show what was going on. And the good thing about it was I could do it on, on cue because my daughter was so sensitive that, you know, you could just put her in front of Wi-Fi and some dirty electricity with electric fields like that was coming from the classroom's low-hanging fluorescent lights. And I was quite excited to do it all because I just wanted Australia to see what was going on. But... In the end, they created a Wi-Fi free classes, so I just let it all go. But I, I got up the installer. I got up the company that supplied the equipment. I got up the headmaster, the teachers. I, com I confronted them all personally. And then, of course, came up with an action plan. I, I had the smoking gun. I think that's the bottom line. If you want to get anywhere, you've got to have the smoking gun. If you've got a smoking gun, they can't back off. It's, it's, a, it's a done deal. So the smoking gun was the spectrum analyzer, the heart monitor, and my daughter on that Wi-Fi router. It never took place because the education department and the government could not afford for that to happen, especially after they just spent millions of dollars on rolling out Wi-Fi through schools. So in the end, they just created Wi-Fi free classes for my children. And it was good. And my, my children use Wi-Fi now, but they're growing up. I mean, at the moment, we've got children around five and seven, you know, even up to 10 years of age using Wi-Fi, and that's wrong. They shouldn't be using Wi-Fi. You know, especially you know, going to these classes and see kids around five or six sitting close to Wi-Fi routers and they've got all their Wi-Fi devices. And I mean, that's, that's just so wrong. I'd hate to think how many children are suffering from it and they've been misdiagnosed. But yeah, that, so my only advice to 
anyone who are thinking of getting Wi-Fi taken out of their classroom or trying to do something there is you're not going to get anywhere unless you can come up with a, a smoking gun. Like, and there's, there's kids out there sensitive. So if you can find a kid that's sensitive and having heart issues and palpitations around Wi-Fi, just record it. Get a spe- real-time spectrum analyzer and a heart monitor, and it's pretty straightforward. David, question for you. We've been tossing up buying a spectrum analyzer. Obviously, we can't go down the sort of 20 grand route, <laughs> but what would you suggest that we could use? Uh well, the thing with the spectrum analyzer is that you can't argue what you're looking at. If you're using an industrial broadband meter or professional meter, you're just looking at numbers. In a court of law, they could say, well, that could be a cell phone tower. That could be this. That could be that. But with a spectrum analyzer, it's like in real time 3D. You just look at it and say, that's Wi-Fi. It's not the cell phone tower. It's not something else. I mean, I, I prefer to avoid going down the legal route because once you go down the legal route, it's, uh, it's almost impossible because they've got so much money and clout and the judges... Uh, I won't even go down that route. I don't even think in terms of legal matters because I prefer to deal with people at a personal level and show someone personally. So as far as measuring schools, the gigahertz solutions meters, I mean, they still have audio, so you can still hear the Wi-Fi um, and you can still point it and see the levels. Um, You shouldn't have to get to a legal point. I mean, if you get enough teachers on board and enough students' parents and educate them and show them your findings in the non-industry science, you should be able to work towards a solution. I think that's the other thing. Most of the problem that we've got at the moment is people are focusing on the issue and the problems. You know, we see these stop 5G movements and stop this, stop that. What the key, like when I went into the school, I said to them, because I install wireless mesh, I used to install wireless mesh systems, professional systems. I said, I can provide you a system that can um, give you all the Wi-Fi you want and still meet building biology recommended levels. Um, their Wi-Fi that they had installed didn't even work properly. I mean, they had teachers using their cell phones tethering Wi-Fi so the kids could use their wireless devices, even though they had a $70,000 wireless system just installed. So I think it's important once you come up against a problem like Wi-Fi, a Wi-Fi in a classroom or um, trying to create a Wi-Fi free class or a safe tech class. You've got to look at the problem and then present a solution. So once we start focusing, looking at a problem, which is an opportunity, and then presenting a solution, once we kind of start thinking like that and acting on it, we're going to make a lot more progress. Because at the moment, probably got, we've probably got about you know, 90% of people talking about the problem. What if all those people turned around and said, okay, so what's the solution? How do we work and create a solution? That's what we're going to do. As soon as you, um, you know, go to a council or a school and have a workable solution that works for everyone, then it's harder for them to say no. But at the moment, we've got stop 5G, stop this, stop that. No one's going to stop anything. Technology's coming. The only way out is in. You've got to go through, we've got to go through this. So we're just going to work out how to do it. That's what my business is all about. I'd work with people, technology addicts like me, who want technology but who are sensitive. And we need to work out how to build workable solutions using even wireless technologies and just whatever technologies are out there. Now, one good thing about 5G is the, the more advanced technology gets, the more opportunities there are and the more things you can do to scale networks uh, to work in a more bio-friendly manner using um, protocols that use cross-platform so that you can use something like Wi-Fi calling. So instead of having your phone on one bar on 4G or 5G, you can use a low output, 20 milliwatts, 5 gigahertz Wi-Fi connection instead of 2,000 
milliwatt multi-channel 5G or 4G connection, which most phones today have got Wi-Fi calling. So that's that's a great protocol where you can select Wi-Fi calling, put your phone in flight mode and just use your Wi-Fi. And then if you've got a Wi-Fi router that you can turn down the power level, say from 500 milliwatts down to 20 or 10, and it still works, you're going to reduce your radiation levels massively. And once we start doing this, we should see a trend and a wave of um, safe tech protocols rolling out. At the moment, we've got big companies like Facebook, Google, BenQ, Apple, even uh, Microsoft. They're all creating eye care solutions where, you know, we've got all our screens now coming out with black interfaces so that the blue light's less. So it's better on our eyes. And, you know, we've got the screens coming out with blue light modes. So it, it eliminates the blue light. And that's... That's happened very quickly. Over the last two years, all the big corporations have gone to blue light safe tech. And that's given me a lot of confidence to think, well, the next step for them now is to bring out safe tech as far as wireless goes, where we can look at doing microwaves and wireless technology, where we could even look at 60 gigahertz, 5 gigahertz and, and all these frequencies and work out how we can make them work for us. And as artificial intelligence becomes more advanced, that can actually start working in our favour where, I mean, you can walk into different rooms and only the Wi-Fi turns on when you're in that room and it'll be very low power. But as an electronic systems integrator who has worked on homes and automated homes and uh, custom audiovisual, I'm used to walking to someone's home and looking at uh, high-end systems and, and working out how to improve on it and how to upgrade it. I see this, this whole safe tech game very similar because... Every home's different, every person's needs different, and we need a new generation of safe tech systems integrators. So, you know, we need our building biologists, people go out there and measure the properties, but then a big part of that's going to be to have people like me who can then look at the house network system, the electronics, the electrical, and then work out the best strategy to create a safer environment by using shielded cables and the way the cables are all laid out, using the correct wireless mesh systems if you're going to have wireless because um, in some cases you can create wireless especially with 60 gigahertz coming up soon there will be i'd say within three years time i'll be able to create a safer system using wireless than cabled because even when you use a cable connection and it's connected to 240 volts i can measure the noise going through your body and it's still destructive um but i, I just want to see the safe race build and see other people like myself just racing towards new and cool ways of making technology safer so we can still knock ourselves out and use all this cool stuff and not worry about getting sick or worrying about our immune system kicking the bucket. Thanks, David. I, I, I don't want to go back. I want to keep moving forward. But at the same time, you mentioned uh, schools. Um, and I used to be a teacher, actually, before I had children. <laughs> I haven't gotten back quite into the classroom full time because I... Um, had babies and we sort of prioritised home learning and the, just the, the mother figure being home. But I have nightmares. I honestly have nightmares. I had preppies one year. We had the little router right next to my desk. Like, no, I had preps. So they were like aged between. I had a four-year-old in that class of five and six-year-olds. And it used to buzz all day long. And we used to just sit there. And I knew something quite, wasn't quite kosher. It never made me feel quite right. I got quite sick from that, uh, from that year onwards when I was teaching. Um, but I will never forget, one of the parents came in one year and his parent, this little boy, his parents were lawyers and his dad said, oh, you know, we've got to look at Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is, you know, we've got to be really careful with it. And the principal was there standing. And I had never heard of this before. 
And the principal was standing there and she's like, oh, that's never going to happen. And she was very quick to shut that down because from her point of view, which I discussed afterwards with her, was like, that's just, it's not feasible. Us not having Wi-Fi is not feasible. It's not going to happen. We need it to teach in our classrooms. It's the way forward in, te- in, in schools and learning. And that parent was quickly shut down. This very educated man was completely shut down. And I think you just said, well, the ticket is, is the solutions. It's the solutions. Without a solution, that, te- that principal is never going to entertain that idea, regardless of what the health risks are, regardless of what anything else is. It's jeopardising the learning in that classroom, which is fundamentally what her primary thing is. Then she's just not going to, or they will never consider it. So I think the solutions that you're talking about and getting excited over, and as an engineer, which we haven't quite introduced you properly, so maybe we should introduce you a little bit. You can tell us a little bit your background and what you do exactly for the listeners. Yep. Um, why it can be something that's exciting with someone like you to find those solutions. Yeah. So, I mean, I left school and started selling TVs and stereos, failed school drastically, and I only understood technology. So I got into it early and sold audiovisual gear and moved into custom jobs. So it's just basically where you go in and do high-end home theatre systems and audiovisual systems, high-end, high-fidelity audio, and then automation came in, and then wireless. So I might get a phone call and might be someone just wanted me to hook up a wireless network or hang a plasma TV all the way up to decking out a half a million dollar audiovisual system and yeah so some jobs go up to say you got a 20 million dollar home or you know one one job it was a three hundred thousand dollar theater system you know where the projector was worth a hundred thousand dollars on its own i did a holiday home in 2007 that was 20 million dollars that home that had half a million dollars worth of gear um going into it so i i do anything from small jobs up to bigger jobs i've always really enjoyed integrating like uh, mixing taking old technologies and bringing in new technologies and integrating it to work with old technologies. And that's pretty much what 5G and 4G is, is taking 4G and just expanding and seeing what else you can add to it. So 5G to me is a blank canvas. It's like It just needs an artist to go and build what you want. So yeah, sure, you can get the telcos and go and build a killer system that's going to take out plenty of people because the power levels are so high, but give me 5G technology and the Internet of Things, along with some other interesting technologies are coming up. And I, I can paint a pretty picture that the most sensitive person could use. We can't keep always seeing red. Um, most people see 5G as a problem, and it is. It's a huge problem because especially the 5G year standalone, where it's 5G right the way from 700 megahertz and even lower, all the way up to 100 gigahertz, and it'll keep going. I mean, we'll have six giga, we'll have six G, seven G, and eventually we'll end up using lasers. But the technology is going to keep expanding. And for me, technology is my canvas. Five G's canvas. So we've just got to work with it and come up with solutions. Put solutions on the table at these council meetings and at schools, and come out with a workable solution. But talking about all of that, people's exposures, because you hit the nail on the head, and you've actually flipped a lot of the narrative for us as well you know the big narrative is you know stop 5g 5g is not good this is not great how do people stay safe okay that's why i'm selling these mitometers i'm just pulling i'm just grabbing my meter just a minute you know that's why i'm selling these because i'm in the same situation as you where you realize there's a problem and you want to kind of be a part of fixing it that's why i started buying equipment and measuring people's homes and helping them out but the problem was most of the phone calls I got were people who had just spent a million dollars on a home 
and then realised they looked out the window and there's a cell phone tower there and wanted to know, wanted me to come around and measure it to see if it was okay. And, you know, when you've got a, a cell phone tower 50 metres away, 100 metres away, it's not okay and it's going to cost a lot of money to shield it. And sometimes it's almost impossible. Uh, and I got sick of those phone calls coming in each week, so and that's why I've kind of pulled out. Plus I got sick of going there and getting sick because I was in these really strong microwaves all the time measuring these homes. And then I realised when I bought all my equipment, I can't, not everyone can afford $600 and $1,000 for me to go and do an assessment. And that's why I'm, I'm now selling these little metres here for $289 so people can buy it and check the um, homes out for themselves. And if they've got a problem or not comfortable measuring, they can ring a building biologist or someone who's in the mitigation game and get them to sort it out. But really, I don't understand anyone, how anyone can live today without a meter that can tell you your electric fields and your magnetic fields and uh, microwave levels. This is a Swiss army knife of the 21st century. And um, so that's my answer. Like you, I've thought, I've thought of that. I've thought, what do people do? Well, it's in, we're talking about invisible waves, so you need some way of measuring it. And this day and age, you, you need to be protected. Not everyone can afford to pay five, $600 every year to go and retest and make sure everything's okay in your house. It gets too expensive. There's a huge market out there for building biologists and EMF mitigation specialists, but there's not enough of us. There's nowhere near enough of us. So that's why I've got this plan here where people can buy this meter and stay connected in a, in a Facebook group and on a blog and work out problems together. I've only got time now to help and work with people who've got EMF meters. I've spent four years on Facebook groups talking to people about their EMF problems and they don't have a meter. And you go round and round in circles. They do everything under the sun. They change their diet. They see all the doctors. They spend um, thousands and thousands of dollars trying to work out their health problems, but they haven't seen a building biologist. They haven't bought an EMF meter. They live in, they ne live next to a cell phone tower. They live next to high-powered power lines, but they refuse to look at that. So I'm at a stage now where I can't deal with people like that. I've, I've just got to be blunt about it. I'm only interested in helping people want to help themselves. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm cutting in here and doing a sale, but anyway, uh, it's part of my solution. David, look, I don't, please don't apologise for plugging the mitometer because my, you know, to cut a long story short, my journey to all of, you know, where I'm at with the study and things was a result of becoming electro-hypersensitive like yourself. Right. And because at the time, you know, I wasn't willing to invest and wouldn't know how to use some of the proper metres, um, even though I'd begun studies in building biology, so I bought the mitometer and actually tested it against Tammy and Lordy's, you know, higher end meters. And, you know, we were quite surprised. Yes, yes, by the accuracy, you know. So, you know, unequivocally, it was so useful. And, you know, going, go, going into, you know, a setting where it doesn't beep and you can have it on silent and but no sort of where I should avoid sitting, things like that um, has made a huge difference to the level of exposure and then ultimately the symptoms I get. And, you know, hence why we've decided as our new normal to be a reseller of the product. We yep. can stand behind it and agree with what you're saying. We've tested, we've done our testing. I mean, when I first tried out the original version, like I thought, oh, this will be interesting, you know, like, because I, I prefer to use professional gear, but I was totally blown away by how much I found using a basic mitometer with my professional gear, I didn't always carry it on me. But with this, I always have it on me. And I couldn't believe what I was missing because I'll turn it on random places and I was thinking, wow, there's something here. And it's, 
it's just like the best camera um, is the camera that you have on you. It's not, you know, you want at home, it's the one you've got on you. So that is the beautiful thing about this meter is you've always got it on you. And since I've had it, I've never had to really pull out my professional gear much unless I really want to look at something closely. But it's, its accuracy does fall short in a few places. Um, it's not, no broadband meter is really that accurate. I'm a big believer that you need spectrum analyzers if you want accuracy, but I don't, I don't recommend, you know, we can't get hung up on the numbers. Uh, we just want to see if there's a problem. It underreads, so I've got two lights where I am at the moment, and I know that's stronger than whatever it's quoting, but it, it just gives me an indication. Actually, the new one's got sound as well, so I can actually listen to it, but it serves its purpose uh, as a screening meter. That's all it is. It's a screening meter, and I've got to be quite clear about that. It's not a, a meter that's highly accurate. And even if it doesn't matter how much money you spend, if you've got to spend thirty thousand, forty thousand dollars on meters, on a broadband meter, they're still inaccurate. They've still got errors in them. So that's why I use spectrum analyzers if I want accuracy. If you want accuracy, you've got to pay for it. Um, it's as simple as that. You need real-time spectrum analyzers with RF because you're measuring that exact field and its exact strength real time. Anything else is just a, a long shot. That said. If I was going to have used broadband meters, I'd use the gigahertz solutions. I mean, they're the most accurate broadband meter for the job. They're not designed for industry. They're designed for building biologists. Plus, it's you know, safe and sound. I've got a good RF meter and uh, you've got the other ones, uh, EMF fields in, in the UK. They've got some good meters. But overall, yeah, this little mito meter will get most people out of trouble. Most mums I know, they've only got about spare five minutes of time because I'm consulting a lot on the phone. You know, when it comes to mums, busy mums with kids, their time is short, and it's amazing how many mums I've helped out because I've sent this to them. Well, they've bought one, and they've just knocked off some of their key problems just by having a quick look. That's what I like about this meter. You can knock over some really easy jobs real quick. For a lot of people, the mito meter will show uh, a lot of what their problems are. It won't measure dirty electricity. It won't measure AM radio stations. The mito meter will measure from 100 megahertz up to 8 gigahertz. So that's the main frequencies. Because, um, I mean, with any meter, there's always going to be pros and cons. And you've got to understand the cons so that you can work around it. doesn't matter what meter we talk about. I can point out problems with it, any meter. The weak point about this one here is the sound mode isn't very good. You need something like an Esmog Spion to get proper sound. Electric sensitivity only goes down to two VMs. But it's, it's, it's okay to find a problematic place. Uh, you know, the building biology ones go down to 0.2. But, you know, there's different levels, just like there's different levels of health and food and fitness, there's different levels of EMF hygiene. And I'm not going to go into the deep levels because I can go real deep when it comes to ultra EMF hygiene and grounding techniques. And it's an endless rabbit hole as far as EMF hygiene goes. And I just want to keep things basic. And that's what this meta does. And that's what our Facebook group will be focusing on is the basic. EMF hygiene levels. We're not going to go hardcore just yet. Yeah. Um, and look, David, I think, you know, it's great that you've mentioned some of the limitations, um, that you've got the Facebook group so that, you know, there can be conversations and, and queries raised. Um, and obviously, as you've pointed out, the use of building biologists with their devices, you know, to get that more accurate readings. Um, but from that personal hygiene standard, oh, it, it, you know, I can only speak from my personal experience and it's been fantastic to rely on. Yeah. Um, can we backtrack a little bit? Because I'm really intrigued about when you mentioned your car shielding and you won't hop in another vehicle. Um, I'm, yeah, 
fascinated by what you've actually done shield yeah okay so to pay for professional um, window shielding you prop for the good stuff um you know you're paying anywhere from two thousand dollars to five thousand dollars to do it properly and then when you sell the car of course you don't get that back and so i've got a car at the moment that i'm not too sure how long i'm going to hang on to it so i just used aluminium fly screen when you look at the car you can't even see it because i just cut it out neatly and put it on the inside of the windows and it just it's nice and tight into the frame the front windscreen looks a bit odd because it goes down and up into the front but that blocks 90 percent. like it's so effective it's crazy and it only costs like 70 dollars 60 dollars for my roll so 60 dollars for some aluminium fly screen and i shielded my car and got i could reduce the radiation by 90 percent. i mean that's that's a cool hack as far as i'm concerned i mean when i go on long distance drives I'll, I'll take out the front screen but around town i'm not going anywhere without that stuff up i mean what's out there at the moment in southport and on the Gold Coast is ridiculous as far as the RF microwave levels go. That's great. That's really, really love great. That. Yeah, we absolutely love that. Um, can you maybe just mention for the, the audience um, what it's important that as much as it's shielding from what's coming out, that maybe it's probably not a good idea, therefore, to have a device on inside the vehicle <laughs> for the same reason. Yeah. We have heard horror stories of companies. There's a company that comes to mind. They shield whole houses like people build their dream homes. They shield whole houses and then they get really sick inside. Um, did you want to go a little bit into the reason why that would yep. occur for people? Yeah. Uh, so if anyone's spending big money on um, shielding, like on shielding paint or um, shielding room, which has to be done sometimes, I recommend buying a, a e-smog spy on meter which has a body contact antenna on it and it enables you to listen to the low frequencies now most people who install who use shielded paint and create shielded environments will not use these because if the customer heard what the room sounded like after they moved into a shielded room they would have never done it because the the shielding has to be grounded and you can use any mitometer to, to measure what's going through the grounding system of most homes um so it, and even if you do create a, a painted um, shielding solution for a room and the grounding's good and it measures good i mean what's to say that in six months time or three months time you put a faulty device on the electrical circuit or there's a circuit that goes that has a problem or electrical fault arises well then that neutral will jump onto the um, ground that grounds connected to all your shielding which is all your walls your roofs and your, and your floor and boom you're living in a massive electric field so like i've got to build a solution where i am at the moment the, the rf's are right but i'm gonna i want to lower it so i'll create a fence that will block uh, the main radiation but i'll still have the native radiation coming in from above and below and the sides so if you live close to a cell phone tower, you've got to shield everything and you've just got to go for it. You've got no, got no option but run the risk of getting sick from the electric fields riding on the shielding paint. But yeah, if you've got an e-smog spy on meter, just flick it over to low-frequency mode, use the body contact antenna, put your finger on it, and you can listen to your body with the power on or off. Well, actually, even with the power off, the ground can still have a lot of electrical noise going through it. I mean, the guy who helped me learn the ropes with emf mitigation he was an old school building biologist from germany he's passed away now charles but 
you know, he said, David, that's the first thing you need to buy if you, if you want to get serious about EMF mitigation, get yourself an e-smog spy on. Because, I mean, to, to date, I don't know anyone better than he was as far as mitigation goes. Uh, he had more equipment than anyone I know. But, yeah, his e-smog spy on was his special little device. And it's my most favourite meter because sound never lies. And if you can't afford a spectrum analyzer, the next best thing is good quality sound. And even if you put some good quality headphones into an eSmog Spion, you can listen from zero to three gigahertz in great detail. And you know, the sound will tell you a lot. I don't need I don't need to pull out the spectrum analyzer if I can get the right if I can listen to a problem. Um, but you know, if I if I went to someone's house and let them listen to their problem. <laughs> It raise, they raise their eyebrows when they when they hear what the issue is. But yeah, that's certainly what I'd be doing if I was getting shielding shielding put into my home. Um, I might have to do my master bedroom because it's got some strong Wi-Fi coming through it. But you know, I, I've got some circuits that create too much electrical noise to really go down the shielding route. So I'm, I'm kind of avoiding it at the moment and sleeping in another room. But yeah, the shielding paint, it's a solution, but just like dirty electricity filters, the um, Stetsas and other filters, DE filters, dirty electricity filters, they are a solution and they can help you. They're like a get out of jail card for a lot of people and they do work. I sell them, I've installed them and sold plenty of them, but sometimes it can cause more problems than it's worth and you're not fixing the problem. So it's the same with shielding. Shielding should be a last resort. And if you do do it, I'd be eliminating all the electric fields from that environment, from that room, so there's no electric fields, and then using alternative grounding state. If you, and you want to avoid um, having the electric fields jumping on the, on the ground, the only way to do that is to eliminate the electric fields, which is coming from power cables around that area. And I wouldn't be grounding the paint to the power distribution board ground. Um, that's me personally. I'm, I'm not a painting specialist, you're a painting specialist. There's certain people who've got plenty of experience who just do that. That's all I do is they, they paint rooms. If you're going to use shielded paint, I would be using someone who's painted plenty of rooms, have shielded plenty of rooms, and then just work with them, make sure that they're using a e-smog spy on, make sure that there's no electric fields around there. Like, you know, we don't even want 0.2 VMs. You need another podcast to kind of cover grounding and shielding. Like, if I put in my pot plants here in a shielded Faraday cage, it won't grow. In fact, the plant behind me, can you see the um, passion fruit plant, right? That never grew for 12 months. As soon as I grounded it, it, started, it took off. Um, so if you put a, any pot plant in a Faraday cage, it won't, it'll stunt its growth because there's electricity, there's electric fields everywhere. And as soon as you live or sleep in a fully enclosed Faraday cage, you're disconnecting yourself from nature. There's still going to be the, the low-frequency magnetic fields and the natural fields going through the Faraday cage. But the, the electric fields, electrostatic fields, causes interference. But then, you know, if you've got ultra-high levels of microwaves and you've got a cell phone tower right out the window, then you need to create a Faraday cage to protect yourself. I, I don't really deal with people anymore who live next to cell phone towers. That's, I'm, I'm more focusing on helping people build safer homes, finding safer homes, and so I'm not really dealing with that situation. It's a tough one to deal with because it's, not, it's, not, it's no real right answer. It's, they're in the wrong environment. They need to move. That's that's my only advice. Like, if you've got to spend that much money on shielding, you're living in the wrong spot and you need to get out. That's my advice. I'm only interested in doing things right because I've been down this road for 10 years trying to fix what's wrong. 
Um, and sometimes you can't fix what's wrong, you just got to do what's right. Let's get in a, a good environment. Yeah, that's a really good point. I love that. And I love that you're getting a little bit into um, electric fields. It's highly more complex, I think, than radio frequencies and even magnetic fields. I think um, electric fields is a minefield. But I still think even on a basic level, electric fields is as involved as it is and much harder for people to understand, I think. Um, when you look at our radio frequencies, it's just much more on people's radar, I think, as opposed to electric fields. Um, they still don't get the point, though, that you once you have that device, that the mobile phone or you know, you're, you're hotspotting with your computer or that sort of thing, that once you have something that's shielded, that your those frequencies are now going to be bounced back towards you. That oh, okay, as well, that as well. Okay, so it's like in the car. It's, if yeah, someone turns exactly. a cell phone, cell phone on in the car, boom, it's like crazy. So, yeah, when you shield a house, it's the same thing. You've got to be very careful not to have wireless inside a house. In my roof, I've got conductive shielding and just reflects everything down. So even the neighbour's Wi-Fi and everything just gets comes straight through. So yeah, it doesn't help when you've got reflective materials. But a lot of the shielding should actually absorb some of it. It's a good point and it really does make a difference with the building materials and how houses are built. I mean, you can't see the, the building frames of houses. I mean, they're, they're encased in the walls and that sort of thing. So it's, it's really important that people do get a building biologist out or someone that can actually read the readings, make these measurements, and once you've installed them, to take those again to see that they're actually doing what, they, what they're meant to be doing. So, um, and like you said, you're not rushing into shielding a certain wall in your house even though you know there may be an issue that's going on there but you're not rushing into it you're sort of monitoring the situation and seeing how yeah, that yeah so what i'm going to do is i'll wait for wi-fi 6 to come out and for my neighbors to update a couple of their products and then i'm going to I'm, i'll look after their network systems and i'll switch them over to five gigahertz and above only so their tvs and all their devices will only use five gigahertz and that doesn't go through the concrete so I almost did it with a downstairs guy, but he had one Bose radio. It didn't have five gigahertz, so I couldn't do it. It's going to get to a point where everything's going to be compatible with five gigahertz, the, uh, the five gigahertz Wi-Fi and above. And even with 60 gigahertz coming out, it's going to be helpful because that means that you've got to have neighbours have all the equipment running on five gigahertz or more. It's not near as bad. It's a lot lower. So right now, if I could switch my customers, um, manage my customers' networks, and switch them over to 5 gigahertz, we would have no Wi-Fi problems in our house. So that's why I'm saying sometimes when, as technology evolves, there's more opportunities to more, create more workable solutions. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I, um, I look at my, um, when I turn my Wi-Fi on, if I just check every now and then on my computer and I see at least 15 at a time um, coming up, so that'd be really quite, and some of them are quite strong singles, signals too, they're not just below, you know, so that's going to be exciting for me, I think. I think we might take a little twist now, Lottie. David, can we get you to completely pivot about, you've mentioned the EMF spectrum, but how important light and eye care solutions, you've mentioned a little bit as you've talked about that, but could you kind of give us an overview of like where the issues lie in that? Okay, with lighting or blue light, that's a... Uh Another part of the spectrum that I realised I wasn't addressing and through Jack Cruz's work, I realised that that was a part of the game that I had to focus on. And I remember clearly turning off our lights at sundown and only using candles for about a week. And everyone just slept so well. It was amazing. And 
that was a major breakthrough for me. Then I've worked out, because I had the Esmog Spy on, I could listen to the sound of the light. And, of course, then you got light flickering and pulse width uh, modulation on screens and LED lights. And I could listen to the modulations through the Esmog Spy on. I mean, there's different meters you can get that can also show you the flicker as well as the blue light. But it's a whole new game. And, you know, all, all these new LED lights have just got a very narrow spectrum of light that is very harmful in the blue range. So now gone back to using halogen lights and incandescent lights. I mean, they've got a more full range spectrum that's more similar to the sun. Uh, so I recommend halogen and the incandescent lights. If you want to get more serious, I recommend going for iron core transformers instead of switch mode. Now, you usually got to go through an electronics wholesaler to, to find something like that. But if you use iron core transformers, there's no flickering. Well, there is still, can be a little bit of flickering, but it eliminates a lot of the flickering. So, for instance, you can get a salt lamp and grab a small incandescent 12 volt light bulb and have it running off an iron core 12 volt transformer. And that's not as bad as a um, switch mode transformer. But it's a, it's a whole new game when it comes to lighting. There's just not enough products in the market to deck out homes properly yet. So we're just going to make do with what we've got. But like, for instance, if I was to wire my living room, I'll just have a couple of halogen lights, 12 volts, uh, running iron core transformers, and then just have a very low-powered, like an amber-coloured LED wall wash. I've done that with a couple of ohms, and it works out quite well. So you have an LED strip, and you run it off a iron core transformer. And just it's only 12 volt, but it's only just like you know, can you have a two-metre strip, three-metre strip, and it's on a wall. And you have a little palmet over it so you don't get the direct light. And all you have is this very light wall wash. Uh, and then with a couple of um, warm halogen lights. And I mean, that, that's all you really need to create a safe environment as far as lighting goes. But then the big one is screens. I've just spent a uh, good couple of weeks looking at screens because I need to update my gear in my office. And so I've got a Sony OLED professional screen because at night, I can create a, a red mode or darker modes because um, LEDs, you can't get them to work as well as OLED. An OLED screen will actually only light up the pixels that need to be lit up. So what you actually end out with is, if you calibrate it correctly, and this is what I'm working on, and I'll be selling these TVs calibrated so that people can buy them and have a calibrated TV that's ultra healthy as far as the levels of blue light they put out. And I'm also looking at laptop options. But the problem is with OLED versus LCD is that OLED does have a burn-in problem. So if you're looking at a sports program and it's got a logo on one corner, Fox Sports or something like that, it can burn into the OLED screens. So that's the only real problem with OLEDs. Now, if you're, doing, if you're watching a screen outside or using a laptop outside, LCDs are a bit brighter, so they wouldn't in daylight situations. So as far as lighting goes and screens, OLEDs are best for night. LCDs okay for outside. But at night, I mean, if you compare an OLED screen with a LCD screen, you'll see what I'm talking about. The LCD screens cannot produce black, whereas OLED can. Um, I used to have Mac, Mac laptops, but I'm now switching to the Dell OLED. Modular. Just, I think they're ditching the OLED now as well. Reason being, is I can be on the computer till 12 or 1 o'clock at night 
and have the red mode on and have it crystal clear with no blue light. You can't do that with an LCD screen. So there's a whole new art of wiring your homes to, to reduce your blue light. And there's, there's a whole new game um, with televisions and computer screens. But if you get it right, I mean, your circadian rhythm, your melatonin levels are just going to reward the benefits. And I spend my entire life in front of a screen. That's what it feels like. And I'm just so focused on getting my night light correct. My biggest opposition is my family because they like you know, all 14 lights on the house up till 10 o'clock at night. Their EMF hygiene's not very good. Um, so, but, so I like to have an office that's dark and a laptop that's got the OLED screen and calibrate it so it's got modes that you can use at night. So you can use stuff like Flux or the other one, Iris, is another app you can download onto your laptop and create different themes for using technology late at night. Um, but yeah, you don't want to be using fluorescent lights or compact fluorescents. Uh, you can't use your LED screen. You can get full, full spectrum LEDs, but some of them can flicker quite badly. There's no real straightforward solutions when it comes to lighting for building new homes or renovating as yet. Um, there's some OLED lights coming out, but what I'd like to see in the future is what we call power over Ethernet. And so power over Ethernet solutions where you'll have just wireless built into an OLED light. So your lights, your wireless connection, not necessarily Li-Fi, but if you have a full range or controllable OLED lights, there's a kind of coming out at the moment they're building them but the good thing is you don't even need 240 volts you just have low voltage homes where the entire homes just run off uh, shielded cat six cables that has all the lighting all the wireless and all your power needs security cameras everything on one shielded ethernet line that's the that's what i'm aiming for that's what i'm waiting to bring out but it's just not enough on the market at the moment to make it worthwhile so once again it's a lot of the time you can't build something if the products aren't there I get quite frustrated because I love integrating technology and creating homes for people that they're going to enjoy their technology and, and control the technology and have all the home automation. But it's, it's a very slow road to building safe lighting systems. I've got to kind of do it a bit old school and still stick with the halogen down lights and keep it pretty simple. You could buy or convert a lamp. If you've got a nice lamp, you could actually convert it to a 12 or 24 volt iron core incandescent light. Maybe we need to start seeing a new trend where we see people, you know, building custom lamps and light shades and creating these more full spectrum or safer spectrum and non-flicker lighting solutions. But we've got a long way to go as far as lighting goes. It's one of the most difficult subjects to cover when you're talking about renovating or designing something with an architect or an electrician who's stuck on, you know, the mundane ways of using LED lights throughout the house with unshielded power cables that are running everywhere. I tend to focus now, now I've been doing this for 35 years, I tend to only focus on people who want to help themselves and do it right from the start. I've got, I can't be bothered with people who just want to quickly build a home and do everything the old way but have it safe. It's just, you've got to do it different from the start. You've got to rethink everything. You've got to forget about everything you think you know. The electrician, the architect's got to forget about everything they know and start from scratch. You've got to build a system from the ground up where you're thinking about low electric fields, low magnetic fields and safe lighting and, and trying to eliminate AC wherever you can. Lighting is a bit like EMFs. There's different levels. And I, I guess to keep it simple, it's just stick with your incandescent lights and your 
halogen downlights with the iron core transformers. That keeps it simple. Uh, and, you know, get use the 12 and 20 volt incandescent light bulbs to make lamps out of those. Uh, to go hardcore and start building power over Ethernet OLED networks with red lights and 60 gigahertz low-powered wireless solutions that still meet building biology safest sleeping areas. That's That can all be done, but that's in the future. And I, I don't want to go that deep here. That's a whole new subject. So, yeah, as I was saying, just like with fitness and health, there's different levels. And we want to stick with what's simple and what can work where we're at now and what's available in the market. And once we start doing that, then we can start going more hardcore. No, that's brilliant, David. Thank you. We, um, you've probably answered a lot of our questions in all of that, which is really awesome. So our final question was going to be to do with light about how people can reduce their exposures and with incandescent lamps being sort of pulled out of production, like they're not making them anymore, is there a substitute they could use? I mean, I know you've talked about iron core and technologies moving forward, but like what can they do today to go off and grab say, a lamp so they could reduce sort of a little bit of their exposures? Uh, well, I've looked on eBay and I've looked in a few places. still people selling incandescent lights. Actually, I'd be curious just to go down some car wreckers and just collecting um, some old lights that they pull out of cars to create some cool little bedside lamps, low-voltage ones um, with shielded cabling. I mean, you know, there's a whole creative side to this, and I think um, we're so used to going down to Kmart and just buying whatever's there. But... We've got to start creating solutions and so we've got to start building a lot of these from scratch. So people who who are building at the moment and they don't understand the whole building biology uh, thing and, and they're only half on board, they're better off just going out and buying some full-spectrum LED lights, some good quality ones, low flicker. That's what I'd recommend. It's going to be far better off having a full-spectrum LED light than a non-full-spectrum. And then, of course, you could buy some amber glass lenses that you could put over them if you want to kind of get rid of the extra blueness out of them. Amber glass, we'd never thought of that, putting an amber glass over a bulb and changing, changing the colour of the light. Really, yeah, I mean, outside the box, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, because I mean, for 35 years I've been in business, everything's about creating. So everything I do is it's always fresh. So whenever I finish someone's job, it's never been done before. It's something different. I only think custom. So, you know, you're thinking of a mass population solution. There isn't one at the moment. And we've just got to go back to being self-creative. I, I'm a creative person, so I can never do mainstream things anyway. It, like, and also, as I was saying to you the other day, I'm, I'm, I'm used to dealing with people one-on-one and going to someone's home and looking at their situation and their needs and what they want and their budget and finding a solution for them and building it, building and installing it. And I deal with situations as they come to hand. Maybe it's we're going to have to see more electronic systems integrators like myself come to the party. I mean, that's what we're here for. It's, and once upon a time before the big box-moving companies like Harvey Normans, no one would buy electronics without seeing someone like myself. No one. They would hire someone like me, and I look after their needs. When Harvey Normans came along in the big box-moving stores, they got rid of us. So people just bought what they thought they needed and listened to some salesman's fairy tale stories. They'll buy stuff that wouldn't even work or fit in their, in their home. And so now we've kind of ended up where we are today. We're just in this consumer mess. That's, so as an electronic systems integrator, we've been kind of semi-put out of business because of the box-moving businesses. And 
I think that's also got a lot to do with where we are today because even the guy who started Bose, Mr. Bose himself, he was fully against wireless. He knew, he knew how bad wireless was. And look at all his stuff now. So we've just taken shortcuts, getting rid of people like myself and Mr. Bose and doing things how they want. So as a systems integrator, I believe it's our time to come back and get more involved on projects. Um, and once again, just like I couldn't care less about what those people have gone and bought those basic out-of-the-box home theatre systems and audiovisual systems and electronics, I don't care about that. They, they bought their own problem. We're in the same situation right now today. But people with lighting issues, they don't know how to put lighting into their homes, they don't know how to put Wi-Fi in their homes, they don't know how to put electronics in their homes safely because we've created this problem ourselves by getting into this whole box-moving sales game. So it's getting off subject, but to get some scope on what's going on, you can actually see over the last 30 years how it's happened. I mean, you know, I can remember in 2000, 1995, box-moving companies started coming in, and you could really just see people starting to go wrong. But there's always been two divisions as far as electronics go. There's been professional electronics and then there's consumer electronics. Consumer electronics now is turned to custard. Um, and if you want custard, that's fine, but just don't expect to get results. And we need to now go back to custom electronics and professional electronics, and that includes your lighting and Wi-Fi and everything, and start again. You know, sometimes in, sometimes in life we need to just go back, you know, rewind and go back to when things were right. And, I mean, that's how I see where we're at now. We just need to turn back the clock and say, hey, we need someone who knows what they're doing. I'm building this. I want that. This is my situation. What do I do? Because I can't give you an answer right now of what's best for everyone out there to do. This is, you can't do it. It's like trying to give someone a vaccination for something and trying to give everyone the same vaccination and say that's going to fix you all. It's the same situation. This doesn't work like that. I'm, I'm, like, I'll be happy to take a vaccination that was built for me. It's no different with electronics and, and lighting and this, this whole EMF thing. Uh, we, we've got to start working together. Technology is moving at such a pace now that you need some building biologists need a techie who understands you and biology where we can work together. So we've got, um, we need more electricians and <coughs> systems integrators who understand biology and EMFs and start this wave. I mean, all, all my life I've been into, I've all been 10 years ahead of everyone else and what I'm doing. So I'm used to kind of people looking at me and thinking I'm an idiot for doing what I'm doing because it hasn't been done before. But then when I do it, I think, well, that's fantastic. I'm doing that as well. So, and that's where I'm at today. People are thinking, David, what are you doing? Like, what are you into this safe tech stuff for? Like, what are you talking about? Um, the only way we're going to survive uh, the coming technology is if we start getting this right now. There's no way we can survive this, this coming plague of microwaves and wireless technology if we don't start tidying a game up. Um, but it's going to start with us with building people like you, building biologists and safe tech integrators like myself, even though I don't know anyone else like myself is doing what I'm doing, but I believe as of 2020, people are finally waking up to the situation of EMFs and how bad it's getting with smart meters and you know smart devices and towers everywhere, Wi-Fi everywhere, Wi-Fi 6. It's now fully out of control and it's now time to bring it back in, into control. We couldn't agree with you more, and that's a brilliant way to um to take it. Look, in our message, and I think in connecting with you through various areas and groups, 
you know, it's about community and that's our whole thing is helping people and it is, it's got to be a customisable solution. You can't have a one-size-fits-all outfit or pair of shoes like you said or so we agree it's about, you know, um, people like yourself and us. Community, actually, you, you, you hit, I've got to interrupt you because you said community and it's something I've left out because yeah. nothing, nothing is going to work Without until we start building these communities. Yeah. It's all about communities. Until we start working as a community, nothing is going to happen. So communities are going to be at the top of the list. We're going to start working in with communities, our own communities. Now, you know, building biology is a community, and we've got to kind of build a community of safe tech systems integrators, right. and we've got to start working together. If, that, if we can't do that, nothing's going to happen. But yeah, community, community, communities, yeah. I think, and that's, you know, we've, you said it so eloquently before, we've got to go back to the old ways. We've got to go back and do things safely that, you know, the old ways did work, but we can incorporate the new ways safely and... Slow down. Yeah, we know, we know what you're saying and we're in total agreement. So where can we get people to find you? Like, where can they look you up? people that want some safe solutions, how can they contract you? Well, then just go to blakes.com.au. Just go into contact and there's an email there and a phone number and go from there. Awesome. And I can put them on, if they're not from Queensland, I can put them on to someone else in their area. Or, you know, I've got a lot of customers from the US and, you know, a lot of times you've got to put people in contact with the right people. But as you said, it's community. So I've realised just how important it is after this whole covert thing, um, uh, this C19, that how important it is to get Australia as a community working together. Because uh, I was looking at everything from a global stage, and now I really want to focus on Australia and, and communities in Australia, and like get Australia buzzing. Um, because in home automation, we've led the world in home automation. Like we were world leaders in what we were doing uh, back, you know, years ago. So there's no reason why we can't do that with Safe Tech, is show the world how it's done. Yeah, look, we. We're totally about all of that, and I think that Simil agree with me. That's that's exactly why we've created our new normal to literally extend out our community reach um, to build that community aspect to work with individuals like yourself who are like-minded and and you know again it, it's sharing everyone's knowledge and not thinking that what we know is the right way exactly and being open-minded and then as you know you've pointed out the individualized solutions people knowing where they can get you know support and resources and help but you know i, I love the concept of community you know i think we we all can agree that mm. it's what's missing in society as a whole in any aspect so you know we really look forward to working you know with you and creating something special. Yeah, agreed. Thank you so, so much, David. Yeah, thank you, David. That was That's awesome. right. We'll have to chat again. All right. Thank you. Good talking. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Thank you again for joining us. You've been listening to Our New Normal. We are pleased you have taken time out of your day to tune in today. As always, if you like this episode or any of our other episodes, Subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you listen or download our podcasts. If you would like to follow or connect with us anywhere else, we are active on Instagram, Facebook or our website. The links are in the show notes. Unfortunately, liking or following someone on Facebook or Instagram doesn't necessarily bring up their content on our social media feed anymore. So the best way to keep in touch is to subscribe to our emails, which you will find on our website. 
Also, if you could give back to us by giving us a five-star review, especially on Apple iTunes, we would really appreciate it. It doesn't take more than two minutes. So as you head out today, remember, our new normal is a positive thing. It's an age where we are informed, empowered and in charge of our own health.